Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Matt Kelly. And I'm Matt Dancona. And this is The Two Mats for the week ending Friday, the 23rd of February, a podcast brought to you by the New European Newspaper. What did we talk about? What should we call this episode? Well, it's uh, we led off on Ukraine, really, didn't we? And yeah. it's the two-year anniversary. It, it, so I suppose it's um, it, it, we need to talk around that. Yeah, um, and the poison of Putin. The poison of Putin. Yeah. That's not such a bad... Sure. I mean, I mean, yeah. is there an anniversary, um, Ukraine's bitter anniversary or... Uh, yeah. Um, what's going to get more clicks? That's all I care about. Yeah, we hate clickbait, but we love it. We love clickbait, yeah. but we hate it. But we we deplore it. What would, what, would, what would get more clicks, do you think? The poison of Putin or your lame idea? <laughs> I have a feeling we're tending towards the poison of Putin. You know, I have a kind of, in, it, it's intuition. My yeah. shamanistic <laughs> powers of intuition. Well, I'll go, with, I'll go with whatever you think, Matt. Let's go with the power of Putin. The boss poison Matt. of Putin. The poison of Putin. Okay. Fantastic. All right, the poison of Putin. Okay, so this is the Two Mats, episode 33, The Poison of Putin. Enjoy. Enjoy. So, Matt, what are we talking about this week? Well, I think given um, the imminence of the second anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine, yeah, uh, it, you know, we should really talk about that. Um, Amazing just to pause and think it is it two is. years. It is. Um, and I thought it might be interesting um, as a way of sort of framing this to go back to Biden's State of the Union address in March 2022, which was okay. just after the invasion right. on February the 24th. And you get a taste there of how we saw it then okay. in the okay. West. So let's maybe do some act and give us a blast of that. When the history of this era is written, Putin's war in Ukraine will have left Russia weaker and the rest of the world stronger. Well... Well, it shouldn't have taken something so terrible for people around the world to see what's at stake. Now everyone sees it clearly. We see the unity among leaders of nations, a more unified Europe, a more unified West. We see unity among the people who are gathering in cities and large crowds around the world, even in Russia, to demonstrate their support for the people of Ukraine. In the battle between democracy and autocracies, Democracies are rising to the moment. 
So that was two years ago. Yes, and he went on to talk about you know how history will recall this yeah. as a great moment. And have democracies uh, risen to? Well, the, this is the thing: is that I I think there's some very interesting psychology at work here, because, which is that the, the background is that America thought privately that Russia would win very quickly, and General Mark Milley, who we've talked about talked about on the pod before, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the time, was telling congressmen in early February 2022 that the Russian military might win in 72 hours. Yeah. So then what happens is there's a huge surprise, which is Russia doesn't win quickly. And we overcorrect in the West. I think that's what happened. And I went back looking at what I wrote at the time. And it's interesting because I, I was troubled at the time by what I called the, the group hug in the West. There was a kind of, um, you know, free world united... Putin bound to lose, Putin, you know, Russia clearly on the verge of industrial and military collapse and a lot of self-congratulation, frankly, which, you know, verged on hubris and, and was treating the victory as a fait accompli in the first weeks. Yeah. Of what, and, you know, there were some good, th- look, there were some good things. I mean, you remember the convoy leading to Kiev, that long convoy leading down south to Kiev yeah. and, and it was halted you know and and um and and then there were a series of victories you know in Kharkiv and then in Kherson and 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 you know there the were there was reason to feel that Putin might be you know halted brackets finished off yeah and then it turned and suddenly last year 2023 there was you know defeat in Bakhmut uh, and then the, the much vaunted summer counteroffensive by Ukraine didn't really didn't happen. Didn't yeah, happen, yeah, no. and then very recently the capture of um, by Russian troops of Divka, mm-hmm. and then you've had things like Zelensky firing his top general Valery Zeluzny, who had written this, who wrote this extraordinary long article in the Economist, sort of yeah. criticizing. You know, it's a very odd way to do it, very yeah. public way to criticize their own strategy and I think Zaluzny has um, ambitions to become president so that was suddenly there were cracks in the in the Ukrainian regime let alone in the west and Putin bounces back yeah you know you I remember us talking about Evgeny Prigozhin the Wagner hoops guy back in June he failed coup was this um, but you know Putin had not done anything about him immediately. Mm. And then in August, he did. You know, there was a... Yeah. Prigozhin died in a in a plane crash. He's very much a dish-served cold man, he isn't is, he? absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen um, horribly, and only recently, the uh, murder of Alexei Navalny. Yeah. We don't know precisely what the proximate causes were, but it's pretty clear what happened. Yeah. And Russia is um, not just sort of, you know, still in the game, but actually reviving its, its economy is good isn't its it its economy is you know it's it's found a way around many of the sanctions if not most yeah. um we haven't banned a lot of things like metals um you know eu's paying a lot of money to uh russia for 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 gas also the they've up the, russia's up to its manufacturing capability yeah. um it's it's bringing in weapons from iran and and china and so on um and i think the c- crucial thing is that Zelensky and the West misunderstood, underestimated the capacity of the Russians under an autocracy to withstand casualties. Yeah, so for that attr- level of attrition, that level of attrition, them. you know, they are capable. And and um, 
you know, it was Stalin that said when talking about the difference between quantity and quality. He said yeah. quantity has a quality all of its own. It, absolutely, and they've got a lot of people. and they've got a lot of people. And I don't think Putin is planning to do another wave of mass mobilization before the elections in inverted commas in March. But I'm sure he will afterwards. Yeah, and just a worrying statistic about the Ukrainian forces is that the average age of the soldiers on the front is 43 the ukrainians wow now that for a infantry yeah force is is way high you know yeah. way high um yeah. and so we you know i don't know about you but i find myself extremely apprehensive we can go on to talk about the west but just the sort of state of play well it's i mean it just feels like there's no exit now for for well for either party really it's just a an attritious conflict yes. that it has been normalized that the focus all the emotion from the public has dissipated you know you can remember two years ago everybody flying ukrainian Blue, flags yeah, and, and you know the huge swathe of goodwill front pages dominating uh everywhere and a great sense of optimism that here finally was they'd picked on the wrong people, you know, and, and Zelensky is this figurehead of defiance. I remember that being a front page we did yes. with with uh, Zelensky's face and the headline defiance, um, the spirit of Ukraine, and that and that was very and I, and I still think that is the case. They are defiant, but defiance only gets you so far. Yes, you know they and need help. They, and, they they're totally dependent upon. Yeah. Um, Essentially, Europe and America. I well, mean, and America obviously got this sixty billion pound package promised to them. Yeah, which is stuck in Congress. It's stuck in Congress for the most tawdry of ideological reasons, which is you know to cut to the chase because Trump doesn't want it to get through because yeah. Trump is hoping to win in November and to do a deal with Putin, which would you know end the support for uh, Zelensky and and give. Putin, I imagine, a huge swathe of Ukraine. But also, Biden talked about Western unity. Well, it, actually, that has not lasted. And Europe is divided, and not yeah. just because of Auburn. You know, there's this whole big argument going on now about there's $300 billion worth of frozen Russian assets. And there's an argument about let's seize them and put them into Ukrainian hands. Let's give them yeah. the money for, 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 for weaponry or some people say it should be used for reconstruction. I think the former is better. Mm. But there is a genuine argument about that. And the French in particular have been very, um, you know, in spite of Macron talking about a European security identity, which is absolutely right. Um, in practice at Munich, he was he was absent and there was very little of that. And just, just explain Orban's role in this then. Well, Victor Orban is, you know, um, has been in in charge of Hungary for a long time, and he is, you know, he's he's a cuckoo in the nest in Europe because he is essentially a, a Putin, well, he is a Putin supporter, and he's blocking every, anything and everything that he can from the EU, and so, you know, although the Brits have done very well and helping, we could do more, but you know, the EU is a huge block, yeah, and. You know, Auburn has encouraged the division, essentially between East and West, actually, yep. because not needless to say, the countries that are nearer to, to Russia feel more strongly about this than 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 those to the West of the continent. So, yeah. and Putin is is relishing all this as you would, because a he's waiting for the November election uh, and hoping that Trump will win. But I think it's not. I think, and I, you know, Trump's 
recent remarks about NATO have been disgraceful. You know, yeah. saying he would he would invite Russia to, you know, do what the hell it liked with anyone who doesn't pay anyone doesn't pay their fair share. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, this is disgusting. Yeah. But you know, would that it were just MAGA and Trump? But it isn't. You know, that there is a general trend in America away from being the global policeman, away from the Pax Americana. I mean, you, you know, it, never forget it was Biden who pulled his forces and and therefore the allies out of kabul at speed yeah. in august 2021 you know and he yeah. is he's made it clear from the start no more forever wars yeah and uh no boots on the ground or western in, uh, or american involvement in this conflict and and just to put some sort of broader historical to to take the perspective back yes. a bit Actually, that position for America is far truer to the founding fathers' vision of America than than what happened since World War Two, isn't it? It yeah. is. I mean, exactly. I mean, people act as if America first is is a is a Trumpite invention. It really isn't. It's it not. Was, it's it, a George Washington invention. Exactly. Yeah. The the classic text is is his seventeen ninety six farewell address, which which says, "Don't get involved with yeah. foreign entanglements." Guys. And famously, they they kind of let the French down, didn't yes. they? Yeah, having absolutely. having uh, had the French support in in their war of independence, they then didn't get involved with um, with a war th- against Britain and France, right? Is that am I right? Yes, and also yeah. you know the the, in the what we called the Pax Americana, and you know the the involvement in America in, all over the world in conflicts, proxy conflicts was 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 very much a feature of the Cold War, and it survived the end of the Cold War to an extent because you know Clinton got involved in some. Uh, interventions and then of course uh, George W. Bush got involved in two huge wars so it continued Um, but those you know Iraq and Afghanistan were not popular in America particularly by the end Mm. Um, and anything that can be labeled a forever war um, is polls incredibly badly in America Um, tracing back to Vietnam I guess I think Vietnam was where it started I totally agree you know which is um much on people's minds at yeah. the moment and this uh, this is all understandable so you've it? got you've got a populace in america yes. w- which actually doesn't represent the view we've got of americans as europeans americans being the big kind of brother who will adhere uh, will look after everybody will pay for everything will underpin our security in europe which is the reality yes. and and this is what trump's railing against isn't he saying he is. you need you guys need to pay uh, but, unfor- but unfortunately for us, for global security, for the universal, you know, rules-based order, yeah. it isn't just Trump. Yeah. You know, he is the most vulgar, crude, disgraceful spokesperson of that view. Yeah. But it is broader than that. Yeah. Um, and And we have to, in Europe, kind of adjust to this and right quick, because I think that w- whatever happens in November... The world has to, Europe has to cope with the fact that America is not going to carry on being yeah. uh, what it used to be. And, you know, the, the thing that you hear a lot from Americans of all persuasions is, why should we pay for the world's defence to subsidise Europeans' capacity to have a generous welfare state? Right. Now, that may be unfair, I yeah. don't know, but that is how they see it. Yeah, which is, and it's certainly an argument that you could, you know... It, you can see how it yeah. flies. And, you you know, you you rightly describe Trump, the way he fr- frames the proposition is disgusting and violent yes. and, and, and scary as hell. However, 
the point that you know they pay disproportionately more to yeah, look after an, European security is true. It's so, unarguable. so then uh, you know, Paul Mason wrote a piece in the New European. I mean, one thing just to say in in yeah. in, uh, in parenthesis is that anyone who hasn't bought or read or you know get the New European this week because it has three fantastic pieces on ukraine yeah uh and i think paul mason's magisterial piece it was brilliant wasn't it, it? it's yeah. like um it's one of those must read cut was, out and keep pieces i was know? i was i'm always proud of the new european but i'm i was particularly proud of yeah, it, it was a great this issue. week um, great issue, and and paul very strongly made the point which is you know you can wave all your placards you can do all of your demos and all of this stuff and, you know and we should talk about the you know the the chaos in the house of commons last night not yeah, about yeah, ukraine yeah. but about Israel and Palestine but you can do all of that but it, it, at the end of the day if you're not prepared to step up and pay for the weaponry and to really put your shoulder yes. behind Ukraine it means nothing and that that's inarguable isn't it I think that and I think that the, one of the points that Paul made and 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 I totally agree with is that what is at stake here is not just the sovereignty of Ukraine but a very very big principle about not just the conflict between the free and authoritarian worlds, but, you know, North Korea and China are watching very hard to see, as is Iran, what, yeah. what happens here. How, you know, what is Western nerve like? And if you don't care about the people of Ukraine or of Hong Kong or of Taiwan, then worry about global food security, worry about supply chains, you know, that. And also, I think, you know, you know, this podcast is brought by the new european now, if we don't believe in the international rules-based order yeah then what, the what do what, yeah, what do we yeah. and there is a tendency and it is almost everywhere now to kind of recoil from supranationalism and supranationalist reality at exactly the moment when we should be thinking about it more you know i god i'm naive i thought covid would make people think everything is connected yeah everything is Related. This is a one-world situation, right? Yeah. You know, and I thought it would have great uh, read across to consciousness of climate change. Couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah, it turned. It, you know, we, it, it turned into a nationalist competition. Who could get the vaccine first? Not vaccine sharing. There was almost no real supranationalism no. to come out of it, which is an absolute tragedy. Yeah, but I, I agree with Paul. I think you know we have to frame. This, this conflict in Ukraine is not an exercise in charity. It's about collective self-preservation. Right. And I also think that there's a, there's a longer-term problem, which is, again, connected to climate change, pandemic resilience, and so on, which is that in the West, we've kind of lost our sense of the long haul. You know, we, we've lost that idea of being on a war footing. And there was a poll I saw uh, this week, which is came, I think, from the Council on Foreign Relations, which is just ten percent of Europeans believe we can win in Ukraine. Yeah, that's a terrifying figure, and it's like to go back to what Biden said at that. It, 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 wars of conflicts are now treated like retail products or consumer <laughs> items. You know, like we look for instant gratification unless they, you know, they're over in a week or two weeks. Yeah. people we, get bored. People get bored, and yeah. and and they lose interest and faith, and. The truth is that a lot of wars last a very long time. I mean, it's worth mentioning that the Korean War is not actually officially ended yet. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, it has, but yeah. you know, it, yeah, yeah. It, 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 but it's an armistice, right? There's yeah. been no. So we have to we have to understand that 
if you want to win in Ukraine, this may take a while. Yeah, it strikes me. I don't know whether this is a good analogy or not, but it feels like the geopolitical system's a little bit like plate tectonics. Yeah. You know, it's like the cracks are always there. The earth might be still for a while, but the, the cracks are still there yeah. and you're just waiting for them to rupture in yes. some way. And, yeah. you know, we've currently got a rupture and how long that lasts, who knows? It's impossible to say. And, you know, but what is certainly true is that at the moment, and in a way that people did not predict in 2022, Putin is in the driving seat again. For sure. And so, okay, let's try not to be too dismal about it. Um, what can be done? What, you know, it's not stalemate. It's positional warfare, which is just a jargon for, you know, two defensive lines kind of facing a war of attrition. But it, we haven't reached stalemate. There are things that can be done. We need to massively increase Ukraine's air power. Massively. It mm. need, you know, it's getting 18 F-16s. And it's, you know, pilots are going to be trained in the US over the summer. But that needs to be speeded up and intensified radically. You know, yeah. They need aircraft. They need ammunition. I mean, Zelensky said that that in their recent difficulties, one of the problems has been that the, and this, when you think about it, is unbelievable, that the holdup in Congress with those MAGA idiots holding the money hostage, the $60 billion, that has actually led... A, to Putin feeling emboldened, but B, to put it in sort of brass tacks, having to ration ammunition yeah. on the front. You know, there are Ukrainian fighters who don't have the ammunition and the armour they need because in Washington, yeah. there are these uh, America first MAGA Republicans playing games. And I think it was in Paul's piece. There was a few pieces in the paper, and I th but I think it was in Paul's piece again that he said a mate of his who'd been called up in Ukraine, because Paul spent quite a bit of time in, in Ukraine and, and in the east of Europe, uh, had sent him a photograph of the rifle he'd been issued, and it was made in 1944. 1944. You oh, know. That's a great detail, and it told you so much, which yeah. is that, you know, we, we, we have in our uh, stockpiles in the West huge quantities of armaments that could be got to Ukraine within weeks, and they're not. And, of course, part of the problem here is that at the beginning of the war, we did what you should never do in, in, a, in any form of conflict, which is reveal your hand immediately. So Gary Kasparov, I remember, said, bear in mind that Putin does not play chess, he plays poker. Right. But at the very start, Biden and, and um, you know, Johnson and then Trust briefly and, and Sunak have always emphasised no Western involvement in, um, you know, no, this is, this is, the, this is, we won't go any further yeah. than that. Now, yeah. That, that's that's probably true, yeah. but you don't need to spell it out. You no. don't start a counteroffensive by saying, by the way, Vladimir, we we're not going to hit you. Well, yeah. we won't, don't worry, yeah. you know. Um, but we'd rather you didn't. Please, and we'll, you know, we'll try and help him hit you. You never reveal we'll your never hand. You. you never reveal your hand. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, the, the, the implication of it was that um, if we did so, we would be risking nuclear war, which is... Always true in our relations with yeah. nuclear armed countries, of which there are quite a few now. Yeah. Um, but we kind of have to make a, there is a kind of, you can't split the difference decision here, which is 
there's a cruelty to Ukraine if, in fact, what we're going to do is um, virtue signal and salve our consciences and say, we're helping Ukraine, Slava Ukraine, you know, and have concerts and blue and yellow pendants and things mm -hmm. like that. But actually what we're going to do eventually is force them to cut a deal. Yeah. If that's the case, and I really hope it isn't, but if that is the case then the sooner the better. Well, it would be much kinder to be yes. honest with people. So, because there's people dying all the time. Yeah. All the time. You know, if, I mean, if actually where this is heading is yeah. um, the West backing down, yeah. um, then we should tell Zelensky, look, you know, you've yeah. got until July and then it's, we're going to cut a deal but, and you're, you're going to lose a lot of territory. Presumably the reason we don't do that is not, international politics but domestic because, yes, because it, it we plays both, really badly you know we want to not get involved in wars but look very strong militarily which is That's a right, yeah. ridiculous paradox and i think there is a sort of crisis of confidence and of identity in the west at the moment which is what do we actually believe in as far as the international rules-based order you know what do we you know how, how far are we willing to go yeah um and i think part of it is that there's a generation of leaders um who grew up uh, with the Cold War then 1989 and fell into the trap and I think I probably did to some extent you know thinking oh that's a nice piece now and didn't think you know Russia is innately unstable it needs 50 Marshall plans it needs you know don't just throw it Jeffersonian democracy mm. you know invest 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 you know make give it the infrastructure that can yeah. turn it into a decent civil society as well as yeah. just a, a notional democracy but we didn't yeah. um and we are now reaping the rewards of that. And also, Western societies after the end of the Cold War started to wind down their defence spending. And yet now, in 2024, we find ourselves in a, in a world that is more disorderly, you know, more fractal. There are more threats from more directions. I can remember conversations, I mean, going back 10, 15 years, where people were saying, and people in the military, the defence secretary saying, you know, the next wave of defence expenditure and investment won't be in tanks and planes. It'll yeah. be in cyber war. You know, this is where the threats come from. And there's from. a truth in that. You know, there's but, an element of truth. But now we're talking about, bloody hell, we need to... Where are all the Challenger tanks? Well, we've sent them already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and look, the cruel truth about wars for territory is that in the end, you need infantry. Yeah. You know, you, you can... And there's no doubt that, that uh, Ukraine has been, it's, it's a sort of multi-layered war because on the one hand, you know, as you say, it's got 1944 rifles and moments of, um, of entrenchedness which re resemble the First World War. But it's also had amazing drone technology. You know, Ukrainians, so entrepreneurial, using 3D printers yeah. to make drones and, and using drones. I mean, they've actually innovated in warfare because they've used drones at sea they have a navy. like drone torpedoes aren't Dro they? Yeah, yeah and they've used drones at sea They're really amazing. to keep uh putin at bay in yeah you know around crimea in the sea so yeah. i mean that is an amazing achievement but one of the things that's been uh happening recently is that russia is now pulling ahead again in jamming signal jamming technology so you know we need to help there but i mean in the end you're right which is like this this relies on ammunition kit aircraft um anti-tank uh, battery uh, assault uh, kit and whatever it takes to give Ukrainian yeah. people on the front what they need to fight or not. Yeah. I know hindsight's the obviously the greatest gift to man, but looking back, there was a period 
and for more than a decade where Putin was treated as a as a partner. Yes. And was was given succor, you know, and was brought to the table and embraced and all of those famous dialogues with Merkel and with Blair and, Absolutely. You know, and on and on Absolutely. It, go, it went. And Blair was particularly insistent that we had to keep Putin at the table because of the fight against ISIS. That's right. That's so right. I remember Anne Applebaum, now of the Atlantic, um, whose husband, Radek Skorsky, is now back in the Polish government, saying almost immediately after Putin was appointed and with Yeltsin's um, patronage, this guy's no good. Yeah. You know, he's uh, FSB, ex-KGB. He's a thug. He he will crush the oligarchs or tame them. And he will. Uh, he's an autocrat in waiting who wants to recreate Greater Russia. And she wrote this and the pieces are all there to be read, you know, way back to when P- Putin started. And everyone said, no, 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 Putin's the new thing. You know, he's the yeah. moderniser and... Yeah. Anne was right. Anne what was a mistake. Right. What a mis- historic mistake. It was a historic mistake. And I think that it was confirmation bias, really, because we wanted to believe that this... Because he was quite young when he took over. I mean, yeah. it's a long... 25 years ago now. Yeah. Um, we wanted to believe that somehow he was... You know, he represented a younger generation of Russians. Uh, whereas actually, Putin is a very ancestral, yeah. you know, traditional figure. Who, and and if, you t- if you look... I mean, we've talked often about the checklist for fascists he ticks everyone in space everyone. everyone he believes yeah. you know passionately i mean i think one of the again classic western era which was to think this is all about the the respective economies you know the western economy will beat the russian economy and that of course is true up to a point it's always true in war but to an extent i think people underestimated in february 2022 this is a war about ideas as well yeah so the ukrainians have really, really, really solidified in their sense of Ukrainian national identity. You know, they will not yield on that. This conflict has given them a sense that, no, you know, we're not going to be drawn back into the Russian Empire. Yeah. But on the other side, you have Putin, who's, you know, as he showed in that insane interview with Tucker Carlson, yeah. he really believes in this sort of quasi-mystical greater Russia idea you know which is deeply connected with the orthodox faith and with history a slightly bowdlerized version of history um but he does yeah he really does and by the way if anyone wants to see that dangerous idiot or useful idiot tucker carlson brought down to size john stewart check out the john stewart clip on youtube on uh, twitter or wherever you by the way isn't it great to have john stewart back properly fantastic because i know he did an apple tv series which is all right but this you know and i know people are saying oh it's not as good as it used to be you know um as they always do but actually that takedown absolutely magnificent it's on youtube yeah um it's about five minutes and it's some of the best it's hilarious he just says aren't you just a dick yeah (laughs) (laughs) he really is such a dick by the way, I mean, one interesting fact that I had no concept of is that clearly Americans have not got shopping trolleys with, with coins in them. That, I Car- love that moment. Tucker Carlson is incredulous this at this is idea. incredible. That you you put, can actually put some rubles said, into your... It's actually free, but yeah. there's an incentive there's an to return to, it and not just take it to your home. Homeless encampment. Absolute arsehole. He, he is, and, and of course now, um, gloriously, yeah. at the time of recording, he's engaged in a... Uh, a spat with um, TV's Boris Johnson yes. um, over, <laughs> over whether or not 
Boris asked for yeah, who wants to be a millionaire a million dollars for their interview you know yeah. I kind of believe Tucker on that one yeah, I mean, yeah. you know that has the ring of truth doesn't absolutely it absolutely does listen just before because we're going to switch up in the second half to um, a fantastic series of television dramas yeah that yeah, have yeah changed, have changed politics in many ways but before we do what the fuck happened yesterday <laughs> in the comments well yeah it's funny because um, I was um, out watching Dune 2 and then I got out and I had a text from you saying, Absolute everything's scenes. gone crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I checked it out. Um, so, okay. Well, let, let's not... I, I have to go into the weeds a little bit. Yeah. But I'll try not to go too much into the weeds because it's outside the weeds that matters. Um, yeah. Briefly, there's... In the parliamentary system, there are 20 days set aside every parliamentary session called opposition days, which just means the opposition parties get the chance. They get control of the order paper. And... Uh, Labour gets 17 and the Scottish National Party gets th- three days. And yes, and the, the, the day, Wednesday was um, the day that the SNP had. The, and they had this very strongly worded motion on a ceasefire. Yeah. Um, in, Which was kind of unambiguous, wasn't it? Unambiguous yeah. and very crisp and, you know, yeah. uh, it, it was to the point. Uh, and um, Labour was, as we know, torn over this. And they, they dropped their own amendment, which all, call, called for a ceasefire, but... Uh, hedged it around with lots of conditions including and this is the key phrase um, Israel cannot be expected to cease fighting if Hamas continues with violence and that Israelis have the right to assurance that the horror of 7th October cannot happen again which means they call for a ceasefire without calling for a ceasefire yeah yeah so that was the situation now so what happens is and again we're back in the weeds the the rules of an opposition day uh, motion are that the opposition party in this case CNA uh, CNM makes the um, makes the pitch mm-hmm. and then the government amends it and they vote on both yeah what Lindsay Hoyle said the speaker what, yeah the speaker of the house said was well actually there's some uh, nuance here we should call Labour's amend- amendment Labour's motion as well yeah so there'd be three votes now this is a a, a breach of protocol and it was interesting that um, his advisor, Tom Goldsmith, wrote to him immediately saying, this is not how things should be done. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that's true, although it is, as as Tom Goldsmith admitted, the Speaker does have discretion. This yeah. is only a convention, OK, yeah. to, to, to be fair to Hoyle. So what was really going on? So what happened was the SNP and the yeah. Tories flounced out, and all that happened. Was so that, but that's critical, isn't it? That the Tories, and what I don't think has been discussed quite enough is that the Tor- Lindsay Hoyle says, or I think had an expectation that the Tories would turn up to yes to vote. So, but they didn't. The Tories th- said, "Well, the hell well, with this," and went. This, this is very. I mean, the whole thing. I'm sure brought back Vietnam veteran memories <laughs> of Brexit. It certainly did for me. Yeah. Because I think what Lindsay Hoyle hoped was that there'd be three votes exactly on the SNP on Labour and then the government amendment exactly and everyone would have the chance to and they could all and and again the bigger point he said in his head was that people are being threatened well this is and that they're being endangered and they need to have the opportunity to say exactly what they feel now we're at the bone which I think is 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 deeply troubling which is um, I don't I'm not actually as um, critical as some people have been Lindsay Hall of, of feeling that as leader of the house, as um, speaker of the house, he had to be mindful of the security of his MPs, right? 
because he wanted to give them an opportunity in the Labour amendment to say that they were for a ceasefire, but not in the very bald yeah. turn of the SNP notion. Yeah. Yeah. I am very troubled by the idea that, Parliament, and this is where I think it, it stops being about procedure and Masonic ritual and yeah. shouting and actually gets into the the way that this conflict is dividing nations and societies in the world it is yeah. you know as 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 i hear constantly from young people you know it is it is the vietnam of our time yeah um i mean dividing them to the point where it's becoming extreme that's the yes that's no the that's thing, right i mean it? and i i mean again to be fair to hoyle i mean first of all we know from recent history that mp security has become an issue generally so joe cox in the brexit campaign yeah david amos killed in 2021 mike freer the mp for finchley and golders green saying he's not going to stand again because of all the uh threats of violence and yeah. i i know anecdotally um over the since october 7th i've uh, spoken to mps of, of uh, both tory and labor yeah. who have been have received death threats yeah. over this you know unless you stand up for the palestinians you know we're going to kill you we're going to kill your kids now yeah. unbelievable that is really terrible <coughs> yeah. um so i I have a measure of sympathy for Lindsay Hoyle for thinking I have to respond to this, but there, you know, the, the, there are more important to me than what the rules are governing opposition days. Yeah, is that we've reached a point where the Speaker of the House feels that he has to um, set the procedure of the business that day in the House according to the physical risk. The mob. That yeah, could descend, this is you know? not yeah. good. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, not to speak of the fact that um, wherever you stand on uh, uh, on what's going on in Gaza, you know, it is obviously something that should be discussed at length and with as many um, yeah. variations as possible. You know, and, but and can I, I'll say something controversial? Yeah. Might, the mob might descend on me, but let's keep it in bloody perspective as well. Yes. That that what goes on in Westminster and and these people making their placards and going on their marches and chanting their chants affects nothing in the cabinet of Israel or nothing in the destruction in Gaza. It has no consequence. It is sound and fury signifying nothing in this particular example. We are not a, I mean, we are not a a very significant player in this. You know, we are part of the diplomatic mix. We've got our seat at the Security Council. Maybe that will count for something one day. But only if America tells us what to say. You know, on the same day, Israel's Knesset, its parliament, Pass a resolution saying no, we're not going to have a two-state solution. Yeah. Now that's a decision. That's something, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know. And meanwhile, I don't yeah. know what the death toll in Gaza was yesterday, but I imagine it was very high. Yeah. You know, th- those are the two salient facts from yesterday. I find it really, really increasingly tedious seeing the number of people, journalists included, who are who are making a very good, uh, very good living actually from whipping people up into into a fury about an issue where they have no influence and no no semblance of any change. Now, I know journalists' job is to write about what's going on in the world and to try and explain it, but when you do it from such a polarised position in the full knowledge that you are intensifying people's rage, uh, I, I find that really hard to stomach. You know? Totally, and to, to sort of um, tie it into Ukraine, again, we need the perspective of the long haul because... I think any decent person can agree that, you know, the ideal outcome of all this at some point, somewhere down the line, 
is peace and a two-state solution, yeah, exactly. right? A, a viable uh, Palestinian state recognized by the world and a secure Israel. Right. But the fact is we are a long, long, a long way, way away yeah. from that. And the idea that because the SNP want there to be a ceasefire, and I understand that, you know, that 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 Benjamin Netanyahu is going to say, oh, okay, yeah. and um, there'll be a ceasefire and yeah. um, and then they'll immediately go into talks in Oslo. Shit, about, guys, have you seen the, the lads in Dundee? Aren't yeah, happy? I mean, God, you know, Let's hey, wind it check in. this out, Benny. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. And it's embarrassing. It's just mortifying. It is mortifying. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This podcast is brought to you, as ever, by The New European Newspaper. And I hope you know what The New European is by now, but you may not subscribe. And I just want to say, please do, because it's the best way to support our independent journalism. And this week, I have a superb offer for you, which is a free signed hardback copy of James O'Brien's brilliant book, How They Broke Britain. Have you read How They Broke Britain? I have, and I think it's terrific. It, uh, honestly, it's magnificent journalism, well, isn't it, it? I can't recommend it highly enough. And it'll make you... Um, it'll make angry you and Angry think and, and think. Yeah, all of those good things. And we've got... 
plenty of signed copies by the man himself, James O'Brien. And you can get a free copy of James O'Brien's book when you subscribe for just a little bit more than a pound a week. Um, and you can go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats to take that great offer up. Please Brilliant. do. And there's a link in the show notes. So, Matt, some amazing television uh, on at the moment. Yeah, there is. And um, I guess, you know, prime amongst it is um, Breathtaking. Yeah. Which is a, a series made by ITV. Uh, They're on a roll, aren't they? They are. And it's, um, it's an extraordinary business because... Um, as we, you know, only in January we were talking about Mr. Bates versus the post office with Toby Jones, which led to a change in the law, right? Yeah. And here we are talking about this um, uh, three-part series. You can watch all three parts on ITVX um, already. And it's about the COVID pandemic and what it was like in a hospital. Um, and again, this is another triumph for Polly Hill, who I discovered is the head of drama at ITV, who commissioned this as she commissioned uh, the post office Did one. she really? Yeah. Oh, she's getting a pay rise. I, yeah. a, a damehood. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, and we're coming up to the fourth anniversary of first lockdown, 23rd of March, 2020. So it's very timely. Um, it's based on uh, the the excellent book, Breathtaking, by uh, Rachel Clark. Yeah, who is a herself a fascinating figure. She co-wrote it with uh, Jed Mercurio and Prasanna. Jed one, being the genius behind behind Line of Duty, Line of Duty and yeah. uh, uh, Prasanna Puwana Raja, yeah. uh, who is a both of them former doctors. By the way, Jed Mercurio is a is former he really? doctor. Yeah, so they're all. No idea. And Clark, uh, Rachel Clark, is very interesting because she was a journalist before she became a doctor. Right, and she she was a very distinguished journalist for the BBC and Channel Four. And then in one of those sort of extraordinary, um, you know, public service epiphanies, moves, yeah. she went off and trained to be a doctor age 29. How incredible. So and I can I can vouch, you know, during the pandemic, Rachel was a really brave and extraordinary person who was willing to talk to the media. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, helped with I was doing some podcast reporting on covid at the time you know in real time and she she really stuck her neck out you know on four hours sleep a night tops Amazing. Is she, i presume she's based on the central yes character. so so central character jo- jo- joanne froggart plays a uh a doctor called abby henderson right uh, in an unnamed nhs hospital nhs hospital uh but it's very much based on rachel's yeah uh, memoir uh, very closely and yeah. and I, as i recall of the book pretty much everything that is said in the uh, that is depicted in the drama yeah. is in the book or was in other um you know do- well documented cases and it's the usual story shortage of ppe you know the the Joanne Frogger character is told you can buy a kit off amazon yeah, i remember that yeah, yeah. inadequacy of intensive care provision so you have covid patients in normal beds um, low oxygen alerts. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Um, discharge, and this is the, one of the biggies: discharging untested elderly patients back into care homes. You it's, know, uh, a, I mean, look, I've, I've only already, watched the first one, right? It's, it's, but by the first ad break, I am wanting to pick the TV up and throw it out the window because it, it is infuriating. It is, and you, you know, as I, as you'll have seen, you know, it, the the scenes, these dramatised scenes um, of real what really happened, are juxtaposed with Boris Johnson saying the testing service is fantastic and yeah. he's going to send the coronavirus packing and Matt Hancock not even aware of how many nurses have died. Yeah. And 
it takes you back. It really is lions led by donkeys. You know, yeah. um, these people, um, you know, devoting themselves in the most appalling conditions and being gaslit by NHS England yeah. um, and by politicians doing their best to yeah. minimise, uh, you know, the, the suffering and death rates of their patients and also themselves. I mean, one of the things that's scandalous is that we still don't have a definitive number of how many health professionals died. Yeah. They, uh, the Royal College of Nursing, I looked up this morning, reckons it was about 2,000, but we don't have a, a full figure yet. I mean, there should be a memorial fund for yeah, you know, yeah. for uh, those people. You know, Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I don't know what you feel about this, but um, there, have been, there have been some... Uh, dramatizations already of covid there was the um do you remember the kenneth branner as boris johnson that's right uh, it was very good yeah. it was yeah. very good yeah. um there was a very powerful um drama in 2021 called help by jack thorne which had jodie comer and steen graham about the the horrors of uh care homes which yeah. is just i i think un, un, just unspeakable yeah and then there was a, a a not bad party gate drama recently and uh, last october and and you know what's interesting to me is I don't know what you feel about this, but I kind of feel that it 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 knocks against it's knocks against the there's a process at the moment of trying to move on, which I understand psychologically, uh, but that but a more sinister, often conspiracist desire to kind of rewrite history going on about COVID. You yeah. know that actually that were the lockdowns necessary, were yeah. the vaccines properly tested, yeah. And the COVID inquiry is good and necessary, but it's not sufficient. And I feel that, that these dramas are keeping the thing in the public mind. There's two There's two things I feel on the back of what you've just said. One is this extraordinary swing we've seen towards an almost instant impact from television drama. Because, you know, you can go it's back... Amazing. We talked about it yesterday. You can go back 40, 50 years and... and Social causes have been highlighted and and brought to life through television drama. We, Boys we often from the Black talk about. We always we're, you know, we're great fans of that. You know, all Hillsborough, of that stuff, yeah, you know, exactly. amazing, amazing stuff. But but none of those things had the immediate effect of the post office. I think the, I think breathtaking is going to have a massive effect on I how do people too. see these these uh, the behaviour of the politicians at the time because it is. It is utterly staggering. So that's that's one thing. How television has sort of yes. taken over the, the 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 emotion and and and, and brought rage to. Um, I think yeah, because I situation. think I, I think one of the things that, um, you know, I you know I've certainly found as a journalist that I've moved away from covering Parliament just and Westminster to a much broader interest in politics and culture. Yeah, and. I've thought a lot about this and why it is. And I think part of it is that culture is now playing a much bigger role in politics, partly because of the deficiencies of the political system and the fact that people don't trust it anymore. And I think culture abhors a vacuum. Yeah. There's a way in which these programmes, these dramas are filling a gap. Yeah. Um, and they're energising people. And yeah. it does... Again, it's something we've talked about before. You know, it, it's become commonplace to argue that people don't care about politics. They don't care. You know, they're not interested. I think they they are disengaged from the political system, but you know, look at the 
book charts over Christmas. Yeah, Rory yeah. Stewart's book was in yeah. the top 10. James O'Brien's book was yeah. in the top 10. Look at the rise of political podcasts. Look at the rise you know. of political podcasts. Yeah. You know, it's a, it, it, people it, are engaged. People absolutely are engaged. And I think that, you know, and I, you know, the, 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 there's just looking this week, okay, um, another uh, interesting, but I think we agreed, flawed um, TV series about a sort of dystopian um, imagination of what would happen if there was a state of emergency in Wales around Patalbert Steelworks Stills, yeah. and 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 uh, what might happen. Yeah, uh, we we brought together by the sort of dynamic trio of Michael Sheen, James Graham, and Adam Curtis. Can you imagine them all in a room? So yeah. there was that on BBC. You can they're called see the way, that. right? The way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can yeah. you can see all that. The three episodes of that. Yeah. Then there's a great play on some of this. We've 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 covered in the New European and the Culture newsletter. Um, a mirror. Uh, at Trafalgar Studios with Johnny Lee Miller, which is a play about censorship. There's yeah. Enemy of the People's just opened, which is a modernised version of Ibsen's play with Matt Smith, which opens out the debate to the audience to talk about what's wrong with modern society. Yeah. And it's it's extraordinary. And I, I went this week to see Nachland, the young bit, which is about the new right and anti-Semitism in the Middle East, you know, and you can feel audiences engaging with these issues. Yeah. And I, I, I'm... I think there's something going on here. Yeah. Now, okay, theatre is a bad, is a very selective audience because it's it's expensive, and and you know it's skewed south, liberal, middle class, and all the rest of it. So, you know, you can't read as much into it as you can into telly. But if you look at the spectrum at the moment, there's a huge amount of amazing political drama. Why? And I think that's a very interesting, and possibly quite optimistic i hope so phenomenon yeah i think so and it makes me my general feeling is is that the traditional media broadcast and newspapers have got into a kind of cycle where they want to move stuff along and they're not necessarily reflective of how people feel and so you get this latent swell of of despondency or passion or you know deep interest in something like COVID. Because actually, if you looked at newspaper coverage of COVID over the last 12 months, you'd think it never bloody happened. No. You know, it just went off the agenda. And yet, of course, for millions of people, they were affected personally, directly. And for millions more, they're sitting there thinking, hang on, our lives were disrupted for two or three years, you know, and yet now no one's talking about it. Nothing's happened. There's no great plan for dealing with the next covid thing we've we've had a well not just that but i mean just going down the checklist um the office for national statistics covid survey has been shut down the uh recovery trial which was uh promised great things which is researching covid therapies is now essentially being uh funded by philanthropy not by public subsidy the one i still can't get my head around is the joint vaccine task force kate bingham's outfit um has just been absorbed into another agency. Yeah. The UK Vaccine Manufacturing and Innovation Centre has been sold off. Incredible. All these things which were going to be the engine of preparing for the next wave yeah. have basically been dismantled or allowed to wither on the vine. Because it doesn't matter this week or next week. Because or it's next not, month. you know, there's yeah. an election and we yeah. want and and aren't tax cuts more important? Yeah. It's right. it's, well, ex- it's an extraordinary thing, but you know, 
um, all hail ITV, all hail, yeah. you know, theatre producers who are putting on sharp political drama, more of it, you know, really Brilliant. good. Yeah. More power to their elbow. And I must mention, because um, I've just seen it, because Amal Rajan mentioned it on radio this morning and interviewed the director of The After. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. 18 minutes on Netflix about coping with bereavement. And ah. Absolutely superb and very moving. So I definitely will, worth checking out that. if you have a Netflix subscription. Thank you, dear listeners, for persevering with what has been a long, week. but I hope in, uh, interesting show. Please get your questions and any feedback as ever into two mats at tnepublishing.com. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S at tnepublishing.com. Or if you listen on Spotify, you can message us there. And that's exactly what Jeremy from Denmark said, uh, did. And he said, not a question, but to help TNE design a new beverage report. In addition to the Timmins book mentioned last week, see Danny Dawling's 2023 book, Shattered Nation. Well, thank you for that tip, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's something we are actively working on, so we'll uh, definitely check that out. We are back with a new Q&A episode on Sunday. Uh, please remember our subscription offer. Um, if you like this podcast, you will love the New European. You will. And it's the best way to support our independent journalism. So please head to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats that's the number two m-a-t-t-s and you get that special offer and there's a link in the show notes thank you to producer matt hill at rethink audio and until next week it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from him goodbye, goodbye. how does appreciation feel to you a rising rush of warmth a building wave of confidence. At Reward Gateway Eden Red, we know appreciation appreciates in value. Starting with people, radiating through companies to transform their performance and productivity. Capture the power of appreciation with our total employee experience platform.